0: Well, good evening. Um, There's a passage of scripture that I wanted to start with. It says, Open your eyes and look at the fields. Open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. It's harvest time. Um, The last couple weeks, a couple weeks ago, we celebrated Thanksgiving, right? And that's a time to give thanks for the harvest. Uh, hopefully, by now, everyone's gardens are emptied. Uh, harvest time is over. Um, for us on the university campus, uh, with our campus ministry at UCM, uh, I think October is our harvest time. September is a time where we are sowing seeds, and we're doing lots of events where we're trying to connect with new students, and students who are from uh, out of town and who are coming to the campus. We do a lot of outreach in that way. Uh, simply, we're inviting people to come and see, and um, and so we, we now in October get to kind of sit back and see. Oh, who has God gathered? And so we have a gathering on Sunday nights, much like this, um, and uh, and it we we really there's like three, we have a threefold message that we're trying to share on the campus, and it's simply this: that you are loved, that your story matters, and that Jesus changes everything. Um, I think that is the, that is the summary of, of the gospel, is that God over and over and over again is telling us that he loves us as his children. And, uh, but more than that, that, that he sees us uniquely, that we each have a unique story, and that our story matters. He wants to redeem our stories. And that all happens through the person of Jesus, because Jesus changes everything in our lives. Um, I wanted to say a couple things. Yeah, like, uh, so tonight, Ed's over there. We're pastor swapping, um, and that's really fun to do because we're looking at ways that us as a, as a campus ministry and the house, we have the shared heart for the campus, and I know a lot of you. There's probably a number of you tonight here who attend the campus, or that's your your field. You know, that's where you spend your time. So we're looking for ways to continue to support and, and encourage one another. Um, I wanted to let you guys know that actually UCM come January is moving to Thursday nights, and we're partly doing that because we want to try to attend more to those who uh, not only live on the campus but those who are commuters because our campus just keeps growing and there's, you know, more than just people who live on the campus. Um, So that's an invitation to you. If the campus is your field, then we want to invite you to come and uh, be with us as we try to be on mission up there. And lastly, I just want to say uh, a big thanks. Uh, The the house has been hosting Alpha. Do you guys know this? about Alpha, and uh, we were so thankful. We've had times over the last couple years where we've been able to partner with different ministries and different churches to run Alpha. We've never done it ourselves, but we've always pointed students to it. And so this year, I was so excited to be able to see the house hosting Alpha, and we've been sending students to it, and I think that's wonderful. So if that's not a ministry that you've ever been involved in or heard about, you should check it out. It's really great. It is a great place to bring people who you want to introduce to Jesus. All right, well, without further ado, there's another passage that was sticking in my brain um, this week. Um, All of our groups on campus, all of our Bible studies are going through the book of Matthew, and we're going through the sermons on the book of Matthew. And the second sermon in the book of Matthew is a sermon on mission. And Jesus, and it begins this way in chapter 9, Jesus says, "'The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few.'" The harvest, did you hear that? The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Like, do you believe that? That we're not, that, that we're not shy or short on people who are interested in Jesus. We're not short on people who are interested, who are, who are spiritually interested. That's what Jesus says. Do you believe that? The harvest, they're ripe. And that's not the only time he says it, but he says that in the passage that we're going to look at today. So tonight, I want to look at John chapter 4. Um, it's known in your, in your Bible probably as the woman at the well. And I want to share this story with you. And it's a story where Jesus, it's a time when Jesus showed that there's no boundaries, um, that uh, he will not overcome to share his love with others. It's a story where Jesus showed that he intends to use our stories to witness to others, and it's a story where Jesus changes a woman's life forever. So if you have Bibles, you can turn them to chapter 4. Otherwise, we're going to have it up on the screen here. And the story begins this way. When Jesus and his disciples are traveling from Judea to Galilee, and as you'll see on the map up here, to get from Judea to Galilee, um, you know, naturally you should be going through Samaria. Now, pious Jews at the time uh, usually actually traveled around Samaria. You can see a little dotted line up there where they traveled around. And they did this to avoid interaction and defilement and even maybe even altercations with the Samaritans. But Jesus, on this occasion, decides to take the disciples through Samaria, and so they arrive at a well near a town in Samaria called Sychar, and it's a famous. And there, there's this famous well, and it's uh, Jacob's well, and that's where they're hanging out. And so, being tired and thirsty from their travels, the disciples um, head into town to find food, but Jesus stays at the well, and it's about noon. And it's in the heat of the day. And like I said, they've been traveling. They're hot. They're tired. They're thirsty. And so Jesus is sitting at this well when a a Samaritan woman comes to draw water from the well that Jesus is sitting by. And Jesus says this to her. He says, will you give me a drink? To which she replies, well, you are a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How, How can you ask me for a drink? So this woman is taken aback. And she's taken aback for good reason. Because in their culture, you just, you know, he just broke three cultural laws right there. A devout Jewish man would never be caught chatting in public with a woman. A devout Jewish man wouldn't be caught in public chatting with a Samaritan woman. And a devout Jewish man would never be caught chatting in public with a Samaritan woman of, of questionable Character. Now, how do we know that she has questionable character? Well, for a few reasons. One, it's noon, and she comes to a well. No, no, one, no one fills up their water jugs at the heat of the day. They come early in the morning, or they come later in the day. But the other little tip-off to us is that um, women don't travel alone. They, they don't go and do this type of work by themselves. They go together as a group. Um, they're a communal people. They they also, it's, you know, safety in numbers. So what we know is this woman is ashamed of something. We know that this woman is somewhat of an outcast because she's not there with anybody. So right from the beginning of the story, we learn that Jesus isn't afraid to cross barriers in order to reach people. He's not afraid to break this 500-year-old tension between Jew and Samaritans. Uh, He's not afraid to break that cultural ethnic barrier. He's not afraid to break the gender barrier there. And most importantly, he's not afraid to break the sin barrier in this woman's life. And so Jesus answers, answers her. And he says, if you knew the gift of God of who it is that asks you for a drink you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. If you knew who you were talking to, you would have asked me for living water, Jesus says. Now, living water, it's kind of a phrase. It's kind of the same as what we would say running water is. So there's stagnant water, water that it's like in a well, and then there's running water, living water. Water that comes from a source, water that's moving, and you have a, a great certainty that's clean and crisp and good. It has a source, a life source to it. And so confused, this woman kind of says to him, like, what? this doesn't even make sense. Like, you don't even have a bucket. And what are you talking about living water? Like, there's, there's no source of running water anywhere close to here. And so Jesus goes on to say, Anyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Now, what, what is Jesus talking about here? Like, he's not talking about physical water, obviously, right? Um, he's talking about what a life lived in relationship with this living God would, would look like. He's talking about the opportunity to live a new life in Him. Um, he's talking about a life where you're not gonna hunger or thirst for the things in this world that leave you empty, leave you wanting more. And maybe enthusiastically, you know, confused, not really understanding totally what he means by this, she she's she's enthusiastic and she says, Well, sir. Give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. So she's still kind of thinking physical, I guess. I don't know what she's thinking, really. Like, is there some kind of magical water that Jesus is going to provide? Um, But she is now receptive, right? And so Jesus then wants her to know what it would mean to accept this gift. And so he gives her this instruction. He says, go and call your husband and come back. And she says, well, I have no husband. And he says, well, yeah, you're right. Not only do you have no husband, but in fact, you've had five, and the man you're now with is not even your husband. What you said is quite true. And she's shocked, right? She's, you know, how how does he know this about her? How could he know that so specific about her? He knows her past. He knows her hurts. Jesus demonstrates that he knows everything about her. And, and, and that's what we're learning, right? As we read this text, we know that if Jesus can do that with her, he, he does that with all of us. He, he knows all of us. He knows our hurts, our past, our failures. He knows everything about us. And so this woman, she has relational and emotional hurts in her life. She has a massive hole in her life that she keeps trying to fill with husbands or affairs. I mean, the text doesn't actually say that she has any affairs, but the question is, well, why would someone, why would she get, why would she have five husbands? Why would the husbands she keep having keep wanting to divorce her? Probably because she's been doing things that would be worthy of divorce. So Jesus says, I know what makes the water in your life murky. And he's saying, if you want to accept my invitation of living water, then you're going to have to stop going to that stale, moldy, stagnant water that you've been living off of. And so what does she say? Well, she replies, well, sir, I can see that you're a prophet. And, well, speaking of prophets... Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Which is kind of a weird response, (laughs) if you think of it. Um, Speaking of prophets, let's talk about the right place to worship. You you saw what she did there? People say this of Hillary Clinton, right? That she's, Hillary Clinton's really good at pivoting, right? Speaking of my deleted emails, let's talk about the dangers of hacking. (laughs) right and that's that's what she does here right well speaking of my sin let's talk about the right place to worship maybe that's a good direction for her but she's kind of changing the conversation isn't she it's not comfortable when you're confronted with your sins it's not easy to have your you know hurts exposed And so she changes the conversation to the major ideological divide between the Jews and the Samaritans. What what is the right place to worship, anyways? And Jesus decides to kindly oblige her, right? Because this is Jesus' posture. He always works with us where we're at. And so he obliges her and shifts into that conversation. He says this as a response: He says, Woman, believe me, a time is coming when we will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. And that just means that God chose the Jews as a particular people in a particular time, right? He chose them to be God's light in the world. They didn't really live up to that very well, but that's what he means there, right? And he says, yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. So Jesus treats this woman's question seriously, and as a result, we get one of the most amazing summaries of what true worship is. Um, I can't count the number of times I've heard pastors refer to this passage when doing a teaching on what is worship. It's the go-to passage, and, it's, and that's for a reason. Jesus here is saying how matters more than where, right? It's not about finding the right place to do worship, but he's saying it's about whether you do it in spirit and in truth. Right, Because if we want to encounter God, we know this, right? If we want to encounter God, it isn't about, you know, God isn't contained in, in the culture in which we come from. God isn't contained in the religion that we've been brought up in. Um, God isn't contained by geography. He isn't contained by architecture, right? God is spirit and truth. And those two things are important, and they need to be together. We can't just kind of seek spirituality on its own, and we can't just seek, like, more spiritual knowledge on our own. It, it, it has to be both and. We're to worship with him with our hearts and our minds. And so kind of not understanding this, the woman just throws her hands up in the air and says, well, one day when the Messiah comes, he'll explain it all to me. Which I've experienced this a number of times. Ah, let's just be agnostic about it. It'll all sort itself out in the end right but then jesus says this she talked about the messiah right and then he says i am he i am he in the in the in the greek there actually doesn't even really say the he part it just says the i am part the he is implied and so I know you guys over the last several Sundays have been going through I am statements, right? I'm the bread of life. And, you know, and, and this, this actually is the first I am statement in the book of John. Um, it's one of the lesser known I am statements because he doesn't fill it in with something else. He just says, I am he. So Jesus is not only saying in a way, he's not only saying that he's the Messiah, but he's using that same language that, that, that Yahweh, that the Lord God, used of himself to describe himself to Moses at the burning bush. So Jesus doesn't just tell her he's the Messiah she's been waiting for. Jesus doesn't just tell her that he's the Messiah that, that her you know this whole culture around her has been waiting for. But Jesus tells her that he, in himself, is the very Lord God in her Presence. And it's in that moment that she is changed forever. It's in that moment that she finally comes to a realization of what he knows about her life, what he can do in her life, about who he is. And in that moment, she's changed forever. So we read that she, she leaves her water jar there and she heads back into town. And she says this. She runs back into town and says to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? Come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? Now think of that phrase. Come and see a man who told me Everything I ever did. Like, I don't know about you, but <laughs> when I reflect on that, that's not really something I'm excited about, um, right? Being told everything you ever did could be kind of terrifying. Uh, it could be kind of kind of shame-inducing. It could be, you know, kind of sounds sort of mortifying in some ways. Um, I'm, you know, I've done a lot of great things in my life, but I also, you know being told every single thing I ever did. But look look what she, she says it with joy. She says it rejoicing. She, she's exclaiming it from, from, you know, the rooftop. She's, what, but why? Why is she rejoicing about a man who told her about everything she ever did? Do you want to know why? Because Jesus told her everything He told her everything she ever did, and he still believed in her. He still gave her dignity. He still saw great value in her. He elevates her self-worth. And not only does he do all that, but then he offers her a gift, the gift of living water, the gift of new life. He told her everything she ever did, And he still says, I want to be in relationship with you. I want to extend living water to you. Will it it spring up out of you? And did you catch that earlier phrase when he says that? He says, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. In them welling up. So Jesus actually predicts what is about to happen next. Because as the story ends, this is what happens. She, she leaves her water jar. She goes back to the town. She says, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. And then they came out of the town and made their way towards him. Right? Now, the leaving, just sidebar, the leaving the jar thing, you start reflecting on that. Like, why did she leave the jar? Did she leave it because she was just forgetful and so enthusiastic that she left? Uh, Did she leave it for Jesus because he didn't have one? But you know what? I think she knew what she was doing. She, She planned to come back, right? She planned to go tell people and then come back. That's why it's okay to leave it there, right? And later in verse 39, we read the conclusion. It says, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did, so, when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. They wanted to abide with Jesus. This is how you do it, right? You, you befriend Jesus, you get to know him, and then you abide in him. And that's what they're doing here. They stay two days, and because of his words, many more became believers. And they said to the woman, We no longer believe just because of what you said, but now we have heard it ourselves. And we know that this man really is the savior of the world. So because of this woman's testimony, many come to Jesus, and then many more come to Jesus. Isn't that amazing? This woman with this difficult past, this outcast, this ashamed woman, brings many people to Jesus. How does she do it? How does she do that? Like, like, do you realize we just witnessed this is the first female preacher? This is the first Christian female preacher. Or if you want, you can call her an evangelist, right? Uh, and I, don't, I know we, that word evangelist sometimes scares people, but it's just like evangel is just good news. She's the first one to go and share the good news about Jesus. How does she do it? What was her strategies? <laughs> right? are we always looking for strategies and tips and tools of how to do this better. Well, well, why don't we look like look look and see what she did. It's really all contained in that one statement. Come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. So first, come and see. It begins with invitation. She simply invites people to come and check it out. There's no bait and switch, there's no well thought out pitch. There's no sophisticated argument, no apologetic, no pressure, no hype, no arm twisting. She just simply invites. Right? Just a simple invitation. She has tasted living water and she is gushing for others to taste it. And now, this isn't the first time we hear this language of come and see in the book of John. Um, I... I love to teach out of the book, the first chapter of John, because that's one of our strategies on the campus is simply to encourage students to find friends, and we get that strategy from Jesus. In chapter one, Jesus models the same method. When Jesus, uh, when John the Baptist tells the disciples, "Look, the Lamb of God," Andrew and John begin literally following Jesus. They they literally start stalking him. Actually, if you look in the text, <laughs> it's kind of awkward. Jesus turns and says, well, what do you want? Why are you following me? And then they reply, well, Rabbi, where are you staying? To which Jesus replies, come and see. Can you hear that? So Jesus just says, come and see. You want, to, you want to know what it would look like to follow me? Come and see. Come spend some time with me. And what's similar is to the Samaritan woman, after Andrew spends time with Jesus, he immediately goes and tells his brother and brings him to Jesus. This is what people do when they encounter Jesus. You, you might remember back, if, you, if you've been a Christian for a while, you might remember back to that enthusiasm you had when you first encountered Jesus. We need to tap into that. And the brilliant thing about this passage in John chapter 1 is that after um, Jesus calls Philip to follow him, Philip goes and does the same thing. He immediately runs and tells Nathanael. We found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote about, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And then Nathaniel kind of asks this skeptical question, Nazareth, can anything good come from here? And um, what's brilliant is Philip's answer. So he kind of has this skeptical, uh, you know, question, and Philip's answer is simply, "Come and see." He's already learned from Jesus to come and see, and now he moves on to, you know, sharing that. So he doesn't argue, doesn't defend, he simply invites. Now, I wanna ask you, you know, where do you guys meet Jesus? Is it here? Is it at the house? Is it Sunday nights? Maybe it's a group throughout the week. Where do you invite people to come and see Jesus? Second thing, she says, come and see a man. So she puts the focus on Jesus, right? Come and see a man. She makes it about him. It's not about the right religion. It's not about the right church. It's not about the right teaching of scripture. She invites people to consider a person. So maybe people have asked you, like, why do you go to church? Maybe you go because you're a Christian, and that's what Christians do. Or maybe you say you go for a community or fellowship. Or maybe you just like the worship or the teaching here or the ethos Maybe you've signed up on the camera or maybe you're a musician and you're just stuck in the rotation. You don't know how to get out of the rotation. (laughs) But the church is meant to be a community that is gathered to and around the person of Jesus. That's what the church is. And so everything that we do as the body of Christ ultimately is meant to help people get to Jesus. And as a pastor, and I hope you guys feel this as well too. I find that so liberating. Like my job is ultimately, it's not about me. It's not about what I can say or do or how I perform. It's all about Jesus. It's all about pointing people to Jesus. Come and see a man. And lastly, she says, who told me everything I ever did. So this unnamed woman, she goes down in history, unnamed, but she shared out of her own story. Like I said earlier, we encourage people that your story matters. God wants to use your story. So we need to know our stories, and we need to be able to share our stories with others. Um, I believe that actually our stories are the best evangelistic tool that we have. And maybe you don't feel like you could ever be an evangelist. And and I get that. There's certain people who are wired for that and some people who are wired for other things. But we are all called to just simply tell our stories. We're all evangelists in that way. Um, That's the most simplest thing we can do. That's what being a witness is. A witness isn't called to say anything except for what they've experienced, right? And so I want to close tonight giving you an opportunity. I've talked enough. (laughs) I, I I wanna give you guys an opportunity to share your story in one sentence, okay? So I know there's pieces of paper in front of you. If you have a pen, maybe you wanna start trying to pen that out. But I wanna ask you this, what's your story? How would you complete this sentence? Come and see a man who blank. What is it that Jesus did in your life? How did you experience Jesus? What did he change? Come and see a man who, fill in that sentence for me. I, I want to create space right now for you to come and share, share that one line. Okay? I know that's risky. I know that's bold. Um, I'm hoping a few people will come and do that. Come and see a man. Maybe he came and took your shame away. Come and see a man who took away my shame. Maybe maybe he delivered you from an addiction. I don't know. Maybe, Maybe he met you in the midst of a difficult time. Maybe he met you in your depression. Maybe he gave you a loving community. Fill in that sentence for me. Come and see a man who, what is your story? Maybe he told you you're precious and valuable. What is your one line? Anybody bold enough to get up and say? I invite you. Come. Hey, man. Uh, I was just. I was thinking about coming to see a man who always comes through because. Uh, I always look to God when I have issues and he's always the one helping uh, me figure stuff out and coming through for me. So yeah, let's just say that. That's great. Come and see a man who came through for me. What's your story? Come and see a man who uh, taught me how to take her disappointment and pain, and able to respond back in love. Mm, that's good. Bye. Come and see a man who cloaked me in himself. Mm, that's good. Bye. Come and see a man who took away my ghosts. Come and see a man who took away my fear. Mm, That's good. Thanks, Ben. Come and see a man who gave me a reason to live when I wanted to die. We, I know we don't have time for everybody. <laughs> but I hope you leave tonight knowing your story better and knowing Jesus who wants to do this work in your life and he wants to do it in others' lives. And they, that we're, we're, we can all be like this woman at the well who became a well, right? It overflowed, it gushed in her, out of her to others. So might you go and do the same? There are people in your lives who need to know Jesus and it might just start with that simple invitation and I pray that you would have an opportunity to maybe share that one line story with someone. Amen. Why don't we um, end with uh, I know the band has a couple songs and I know that you are a praying church so um, if you if something stirred in you and you like some prayer, I know there's people, um, is it at the back or at the sides? Yes, at the sides. So there are people here who will pray with you. So come if you want prayer or um, please stand and join us in concluding in some worship.